So when the Rileys and Matt wanted to go and church plant, they were really very keen to be under Mike's oversight. And so the oversight, I guess, that I bring to them, I bring sort of serving Mike's team on behalf of on behalf of Mike. So I guess we kind of got to know each other a bit through doing that. And you know, he's proving to be a pretty decent fella, um, which has been great. And um, uh, he's um, he's a. I'm really pleased that he's here, and I think that there's something of God that's going to be deposited in us through him preaching and sharing. I'm really confident of that. And um, he's a handsome fella, isn't he? I've always thought that. He's a handsome fella. He's a lot, he's a lot older than he, than he looks. He's about, he's about 70, but he's, he looks well on it. Now, he's a, he's a good man. And so let's give him a revelation welcome, shall we? Well, it's good to be with you, even after all that rudeness at my expense. Uh, do I need to do something with this, or is that... Oh, forward a little bit. Is that better? There we go. I don't like to have uh, caused the PA guys any more hassle. I always think they're the unsung heroes of every church. Oh. So you have my admiration. Now, it's really nice to be with you. I... I feel uh, that there are some things in God that over time uh, we will do together. I'm sensing more and more with Steph that there's things, bits and pieces seem to be fitting together. We're just taking it steady, see what God does. I'm just interested in, uh, where's that guy going to France? Where are you? Yeah, see, now this is interesting. Last week... um, uh, We had our first Eurostar Eurostar prayer meeting. That's better than your blooming upper room thing. Eurostar, just an upper room. We're on a fast train. We do it in style. And uh, that came about because um, I felt God say to me, uh, one of the churches we're working with is in Ashford in Kent. And uh, when I was there... I'll move a bit more forward until it becomes embarrassing for you. But, uh, when I was there, I felt I had a prophetic word for them that they were going to plant, uh, they were going to spearhead plants all along the Eurostar line. And little known to me, someone else had been there a few weeks before, a, a prophet who does know what he's talking about, and had said exactly the same thing. So that was good. So I said, right, let's do a Eurostar prayer meeting, because I honestly believe anything... We ever do for God, if you're writing anything down, write this down. Anything we do for God that is worth doing begins with prayer. Right? That's the, that's the currency that makes the business work. So I thought, now it might sound a bit of a luxury to jump on a train and have a prayer meeting. And people keep saying, yeah, I expect you had lots of red wine and cheese as well. No, I didn't. It wasn't time for that on that occasion. But we literally jumped on the train. There were six of us few leaders who I felt had got something to bring into it. 50 minutes it is from Ashford to the centre of Lille, which is a city of 250,000 people, 100,000 students in Lille. And we're 50 minutes later, we're in the middle of Lille, and we had this really fantastic prayer meeting, sense of God's presence, really feeling he's opening up the whole thing for us. I really believe that God's going to just open up not only Lille, but actually give us a little bit of a base there through into Belgium, into Luxembourg, into Switzerland. I want to get into Brussels, really. You know, God's doing some amazing things, so who knows where you might end up in En Francais. 
It wasn't too bad, was it? <laughs> yeah, it was terrible, actually. My iPhone's got a new app, Translator, so I don't need to speak anymore. I just type it into that and press Translate, and it says it all for you. <laughs> so you can get away with all sorts of things. So anyway, um, there's all sorts of things like that happening up. Europe, all sorts of places. We're even involved in China now. Isn't that bizarre? We've got a church plant uh, sort of thing in China. I can't tell you much about it, or I'd have to shoot you. Um, but it, it's all beginning to, to open up there as well. Remarkable things. God's doing some, some good stuff. So I'm very happy to be here. I think some of you are going to find yourself in unusual places. Yes. That <laughs> <laughs> you never thought you would. Uh, that's, and I want to speak this afternoon about, you, about your prayers, your life, this church, and the bigger picture. Your prayers, your life, this church, and the bigger picture. So let's pray and we'll get straight into it. Father, thank you that we are here today by your providential hand. None of us is here by accident. None of us is in this church by accident. None of us is on this planet by accident. None of us does not matter. None of us is just making up the numbers. We are all individually, uniquely created by you and for you to give glory to you. You delight in us. You are thrilled with us. You called us the pinnacle of your creation and said, this is good. Lord, we thank you that when your spirit redeems us and sorts us all out again, redeeming that which was lost. Lord, you can do amazing things with your people. Thank you so much for that. Thank you that our lives have purpose. We're not drifting around, Lord. And I pray that this afternoon you would help me, Holy Spirit, I just give to you my gift and say, Lord, please just take it. I can't do anything. These are just words. But Holy Spirit, if you can just take some of what I say and just really plant it in people's hearts, Lord. I know that you'll do some things this afternoon that we'll give glory to Jesus and we'll build his kingdom so I just commit this time to you I really ask you Holy Spirit be among us now be resting on us now Holy Spirit we just open our hearts to you give us insight illumination into your purposes into your word Lord open hearts Lord change lives I would dare to believe even Lord new windows of new vistas, new perspectives would open up this afternoon that were not open when people walked into this room. Lord, we ask you to do that. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. He will teach you and remind you of all things. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, just to come uh, so that we may be listening to me, but you will be the one doing the work. We pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, where do we begin? Well, do you ever wonder to yourself why the disciples never said to Jesus, why should we pray? They never said that, did they? They only ever said, teach us how to pray. Now, I think there's a reason for that. Uh, The reason for it is twofold. Firstly, they'd seen what prayer did. They'd seen Jesus' prayer life. They'd seen the results of him spending hours walking, praying, We see something of Jesus' prayer life, little snippets of it. They'd also seen the results of the power of his authoritative prayers into people's lives there and then. They they had no doubt that prayer worked. That that wasn't on there. They didn't have to think, why should we pray? Because they'd seen it work. But the other reason why um, they didn't ask, why should we pray, is because I believe every one of them 
was aware that there was a bigger picture, a bigger plan, a bigger purpose that they were somewhat on the edges of being with Jesus, that Jesus was carrying them into. They understood there was destiny and purpose and predestined thoughts of God concerning the future that they were being caught up in. They knew they weren't just wandering around aimlessly. They understood there was something that was going to happen. So they were saying, teach us how to pray because we know there's things you want to do. They understood they were involved in something. That's why when Jesus um, was, uh, was talking to them, giving them instructions right at the end, they said, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Why did they ask that question? They asked that question because they knew that somewhere in their minds, they hadn't quite got the theology right or what it all meant, but they knew something was going to happen. They knew God was going to do something and that there was a kingdom to come that Jesus hadn't quite yet fully brought in. And they said, are you going to do that now? So they're caught up in their hearts with a clear, crystal clear understanding of what Jesus was about and the fact that he was about something. Now I want to suggest to you that you and I need to equally be absolutely crystal clear that you and I matter in the bigger purposes of God. There is a bigger purpose into which you and your little life fit Wonderful as it is to know that you're saved, you've got a private message of Christ dying for your sins so that you can have eternal life, that's wonderful, but on its own it's not enough. There's more involved in that. What have you been saved for? What have you been saved into? What does your salvation mean in the bigger picture? See, the message of repentance is much more than just saying sorry for our sins. It's about changing our whole worldview to understand our life is not just about what we thought it was about. Actually, there's something far different that life is all about that we need to repent, turn from and line ourselves up with. There is a purpose. There is a bigger plan. In... uh, Tozer's book called We Travel an Appointed Way, he says this. And the reason I think it's important we understand there's a bigger picture is because without a bigger picture, you don't matter. You're a complete irrelevance. Sorry if you've got any low self-esteem problems. I've just made them ten times worse. But actually, you're right to have low self-esteem because you're not worth anything. Yeah, in fact, you're more worthless than you think you are if there isn't a bigger purpose. This is what Tozer says. He says, One of the heaviest thoughts that can visit the human heart is the insignificance of the average man. Seen against the long procession of the ages and the countless multitudes of people who've inhabited the earth, we are each one no more than a grain of sand on a wide seashore. Feeling good? (laughs) It takes some reflection to make this appear to our minds as it really is. The human ego may be counted upon to accent our individual worth and to give us a false permanence to what is anything but permanent. A man in his pride may feel himself to be so important that it's hard for him to visualise the world as continuing to endure after he is removed from the scene. 
But all we need to do is wait. Time will grind him to dust and toss him to the winds. His friends will disappear one by one from their old familiar haunts and there will be no one left to remember him. Are you really feeling good now? The passing generations will sift over him layer upon layer of forgetfulness and he will no longer have any earthly meaning. He will cease to be a name and will become merely a statistic. But no matter how insignificant he may have been before, listen, a man becomes significant the moment he has had an encounter with the Son of God. When the Lord lays his hand upon a man, that man ceases at once to be ordinary. He immediately becomes extraordinary and his life takes on cosmic significance. The angels in heaven take notice of him and go forth to become his ministers. Though the man had before been only one of a faceless multitude, a mere cipher in the universe, an invisible dust grain blown across endless wastes, now he gets a face and a name and a place in the scheme of meaningful things. Christ knows his own sheep by name. A young preacher introduced himself to the pastor of a big metropolitan church with the words, I'm just the pastor of a small church up country. Son, replied the wise minister, there are no small churches. There are no unknown Christians, no insignificant sons of God. Each one signifies, each is a sign drawing upon the attention of the triune God day by day and night upon him. The faceless man has a name. The nameless man has a name. When Jesus picks him out of the multitude and calls him to himself... No doubt we grieve our Lord by thinking of ourselves as less than we are in the plan of God. In ourselves we are nothing, and the vast gulf of forgetfulness toward which we were heading was the proper place for us. We'd earned no share in God's interest, no place in his affection. Our sins had forfeited any claim we might have had upon God as creator. But the blood of the everlasting covenant has changed all that. Our claim now is that of a child upon his father. We have a right in the father's household and we can sit down at his table without fear or embarrassment. In the kingdom of God, we matter. Now, if we don't understand there is a bigger plan and I don't understand where we fit in it, then our prayers will be weak and pointless. Our activities and our lives will wander around in ever-decreasing meaningless circles and our church will not be fortified with a sense of destiny and significance in the vast numbers of millions around us into which we might feel we just are absorbed and and diluted and matter little. But I want to tell you this afternoon, just in the moments we have, just a little snapshot, a little, I want to open a little window into some of the bigger purposes of God, just to try and help you see the dignity that you now have because because of what Christ has done in your life if you know him. And if you do not know Jesus, I want to say to you, without him, your life absolutely is meaningless. Absolutely. Whatever you do while you're alive that seems significant, three generations later, no one will remember. They might remember what you did, if you created something or invented something that we, I don't know, 
that we all use. Whoever, can it, does anyone know who invented a watch? Can't, does anyone know his name? No. Isn't that sad? You've all got one on, but you can't remember who did it. Well, that's where you're going if you don't need know Jesus. You might do very significant things, but you yourself will have no significance beyond your life unless you are in Christ, who gives significance to everything and everyone because that's why you were made, that you might find him come home and realise why you're on this planet. So what are the bigger purposes? What are the, what are the things that God wants us to be aware of? Well, I'm just going to... Without giving you a Bible verse, I'm just going to go through the entire Bible in the next 20 minutes. Right? You ready for that? Yeah. 20 minutes. You're going to, I'm going to go through the whole Bible, tell you what it's all about. What am I saying? Right. I'm going to tell you some themes that are in the Bible that we can trace through to give you an understanding of what the bigger picture and the bigger purposes of God are and where you fit into them. The first one is this. There's, a, there's four promises. I think there's four. One, two, three, four. There's four promises. <laughs> The first is the promise of a Messiah, a promise of a Messiah. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned, and God cursed man, he cursed the earth, and one of the things he was doing, he was cursing Satan for what he'd done, for the way he'd, he'd brought about what had happened, and he said to Satan, do you know, he said, you're, you're, he said of Eve's seed, of her, of, her, um, uh, of her children, of that which would come from Eve, he said, you're going to strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And right in that very early, early kind of pronouncement of God, there is just the faintest glimmer that one day out of Eve is going to come one from her descendancy, a man of whom Satan will, will strike at his heel, but ultimately he will crush his head. There's a, there's a little purpose of God being unveiled, even in that terrible moment of cursing. There's a little, a little window. He's gonna, he's gonna, you're going to strike his heel. He's going to crush your head. Then a bit later on in Genesis, we find Abraham. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And through your seed, all nations are going to be blessed. Every nation on the planet, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people group, every culture, there's going to come some, someone from you, something from you that's going to move through all of the nations. And, and Abraham, I know you don't know me now, Abraham was a sun worshipper. He wasn't brought up in a Christian home. He just he worshipped the sun. He, he thought God, the sun was God and God took hold of him. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to I'm going to make you fruitful and your seed is going to bring about the blessing of all nations on the earth. And then a bit later in the history of Israel, you, you find King David who's leading God's people, this people of Israel that Abraham's seed, this first wave of Abraham's seed as it were, this nation on the earth. And King David is the king of this nation of God on the earth and, and he knows, he has a promise that one of his descendants is going to rule forever. David's this mighty king ruling over the nations, but he's got this promise in his heart that out of his descendants is going to come one who actually rules over all things forever, who's going to be the real king of kings. And Jesus, we find, fulfills all of those promises. Jesus is the second Adam. Adam was born... Uh, the federal head of creation. He was the one who represented us. So when he sinned, we were taken into that, the consequences of his sin with him. 
Jesus, just as Adam sinned and brought death to us, so Jesus conquered death and brings life for us. He's the firstborn over all creation. Jesus takes us into what he accomplished. Adam took us into what he lost. Jesus is that that one who Satan struck at his heel, as it were, tried to kill him on the cross, but he crushed his head by rising from the dead. He's that, he's that fulfilment of that little promise to Eve back, in, back in, in creation, in the Garden of Eden. Then you get uh, the promise to Abraham. Jesus is the one who, who is the seed of Abraham. Uh, and all the promises to Abraham are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the one that will bless all the nations. Jesus is the one that every tongue and tribe and nation will be blessed through. He's the, he's the one that... Uh, Abraham has, as it were, brought to birth through the generations. He's the one that promise was referring to. And King David, um, we read in scripture that uh, David said to uh, my Lord 